Welcome to the Natural Super Kids Podcast, where you will discover practical strategies to inspire you to boost the health and nutrition of your kids. I'm Jessica Donovan, a qualified naturopath specializing in kids' health, and I want to make it as easy as possible for you to raise healthy and happy kids. Let's get into it. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Natural Super Kids podcast. Jessica Donovan here. And today we are talking sleep, feeding, reflux, and more with the amazing Natasha Duffin, who is an occupational therapist working in infant and toddler sleep and reflux. So Tash is a wife and a mum to three little ones. And in addition to being an occupational therapist, she has additional training in sleep quality orofacial myofunctional therapy. You'll hear me struggle with that term a few times in this interview, pediatric feeding, and she's a certified baby reflux lady. So she started working in infant sleep as a way to combine three of her passions, helping people, science, and babies. And Tasha's business is Whole Child Co. You must go and follow her on Instagram. We've got the link in the show notes as well as check out her website. I just get really excited when I find other professionals that are really on the same page as we are here at Natural Super Kids, but they they offer something complementary to what we offer. It's a really interesting chat about how our oral function can affect our sleep and our kids' reflux and things like that, um, and how these things are all interlinked, the sleep, the sleeping, the feeding, um, the reflux, and the oral function. So I hope you enjoy this chat. Here's Tash. Welcome to the Natural Super Kids podcast, Tash. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Yeah, so good to have you, and I'm excited about this conversation. So to get started, can you tell our audience a little bit about yourself and what you do? Absolutely. So my name is Tash. I'm uh, a mum of three, um, and I am an occupational therapist by trade, um, but I work in a kind of a bit of a non-traditional field where I help little ones or babies through to early childhood with sleep. Um, their feeding, their oral function, and um, reflux. So even though I'm OT broadly, I've got I've done lots of extra little trainings that have given me certifications in different things um, mm. along the way, and they all kind of amalgamate. Um, I kind of started out with a very traditional, I guess, um, what was around back when I started sleep, like learning about sleep and sleep training and stuff like that. And then as I got into it, I really realised that none of this makes sense and mm. there's all these contributors that how can you possibly look at sleep as in a silo without considering the whole child, which is um, where my business name comes from, um, because everything's just so interlinked and sleep is very much a very often a symptom of a problem. It's not the problem. And so with all those other things, I want to look at what is causing that problem. 
Yeah, perfect. And that definitely is in line with our approach here at Natural Super Kids, like being kind of naturopathic focused. It's all about looking at the whole picture, not just that one isolated issue. So yeah, I love that. And such a great combo, like the sleep, the reflux, the um, feeding, the, you know, all of that is very much linked, isn't it? So very much. Yeah. Let's start by talking about sleep because I know this is such a big um, issue for so many of our listeners. Uh, What are some of the common causes of sleep issues that you find in babies and toddlers and kids? I know that's a huge question. (laughs) Yeah. So I guess there's the start really small and basic is there's the sleep hygiene stuff. Um, Having and, And I'm very much not about You've got to have a strict routine. You've got to do this. You've got to teach your baby to fall asleep in a certain way because I believe that every family has different priorities, different environments, different stories. Um, but sleep hygiene can help sleep or it can hinder sleep. So, you know, basic stuff like um, the balance of day sleep, um, the environment in terms of temperature, um, you know, just those little um, little things. I'm not a big advocate that you've got to teach your baby to self-settle to have a good sleep at all. Um, but so yeah, little bits of sleep hygiene can contribute. But because of my audience and because of um, my background, I don't really get a lot of babies that have big issues there. Um, and also I think you can find that stuff really anywhere. So by the time people come to me, they very much have most often gone through all the basic stuff. Um, so what I see is a big link between reflux and pain and sleep because a baby that is in pain and can't lie on their back because they reflux, they're never going to sleep well um, because of that physiological response, but be also because of that, that the nervous system, how that they're in that chronic fight flight, which isn't conducive to sleep. Um, feeding difficulties. Um, so whether that is, you know, manifests as early weaning from the breast, um, or, um, just painful or just feeds that are stressful for mum and bub. Um, whether that, um, you know, milk spilling, lots of vomiting, clicking, just not feeling like an enjoyable experience and that can also translate to when they move to the bottle because feeding is is just too much breastfeeding is too much um but when there's um old dysfunction issues which is a big thing that i see those things translate to the bottle um so yeah feeding difficulties old dysfunction um and then the way that those things uh, manifest or uh, contribute to craniofacial development and then how that craniofacial development affects airway architecture, which affects sleep and so on and so forth. So I see a lot of lot of kids with sleep disorder breathing um, and, you know, like early childhood kids and I can see the starts of that um, with the little, little babies that I work with. Um, yeah, and so, and a lot of tongue tie. Um, yeah, so I, I very rarely get like the it's a sleep hygiene. We just got to sort out where the nats fall and how that's going to work for the family. It's more more the stuff that is pulling together all the pieces. 
the more complex stuff because that that's the stuff that doesn't often get picked up, isn't it, by other maybe health professionals that are that are helping um, mums and dads with sleep. Yeah, 100%. And um, I certainly even find now that I have, um, you know, like I've put lots of stuff out there about all these issues and thankfully parents are picking that up and taking to that, that to their healthcare providers. And thankfully sometimes they are listened to, other times unfortunately they're not. Um, but at least that we're starting to raise that awareness of like these little flags for these parents. Yeah, definitely. And it's, it just really illustrates how complex sleep is and how many different factors can you know affect sleep um and i'm just so so fascinated about the oral function we're going to be having a separate conversation about that for a masterclass for our club members so if you're a club member listening um we're going to dive deep into that in a masterclass in the coming months uh but for, for the parents listening what are the signs or some of the common signs and symptoms that parents can look for that can mean that their child's sleep quality isn't optimal? Because it's not always really obvious, is it? No, absolutely. And the big point there is that quality and quantity are two very separate things. Yeah. Um, And even I teach other healthcare providers that when they're working with kids, it's really it really requires very specific questioning on their behalf because lots of parents think, I don't see my kids for 12 hours, they sleep well, but that's not the whole picture. Um, so that's a big, big, big message that I want to always drive home. Quality and quantity are very different. So quality means that their sleep is restorative. Um, and for, for kind of, you know, preschooler, kindy, even school-age kids, the and to a lesser extent, toddlers and babies, but sometimes it's a bit hard to pull apart what's developmentally normal and what's them being overtired, like um, chronically tired. But it's that, you know, one thing is their just ability to cope with the day and how they wake up. Um, if they wake refreshed or they, they're they rubbing their eyes and feel like showing, telling you they're tired um, from the get-go, basically. So it's that feeling of being restored from the sleep that they get um and again the more the kid population rather than babies and toddlers it's you know can they sit still in class can they listen can they do they have developmentally appropriate um emotional regulation that kind of stuff obviously there's um we don't expecting kids to be little robots that um fully develops prefrontal cortexes but if you think if you look at their peers and think like this feels like it's happening a lot here um sleep is really one of the first places you want to look um and the statistics are and and like i guess um the research on adhd really brings that point home the statistics are somewhere between 25 and 50 percent of kids diagnosed with adhd also have or instead of an adhd diagnosis so it can be concurrent or completely separate, have a sleep um, disorder. So the kids, obviously ADHD is a very real diagnosis. If they also have a sleep problem, um, obviously their symptoms are going to be much, much worse. So the research shows that when those kids with those two diagnoses treat their sleep problem, they need a hell of a lot less medication and they, they, you know, their emotional regulation, their ability to still listen, all that kind of stuff improves 
hugely. And then there's also a subset that actually don't have ADHD. When you treat their sleep, their behavior improves because they're not tired all the time. And you like it really brings it home when you talk to a parent about like when you're tired, like how yeah. good your emotional regulation you're, <laughs> exactly. and you're a fully blown adult with a fully developed prefrontal cortex. We've got these little kids that just their their brains aren't developed. And if they're chronically tired, like they've never had a real good night's sleep, then of course they're gonna struggle in the day. So that's probably my biggest thing. Like look, you know your kids. Um, but if if they if they don't wake refreshed and you feel like they're struggling to regulate and just cope with the day and the challenges, um, then that's probably the biggest thing to look at. And definitely not the quantity is the big thing, because I do find lots of kids. Two and two of mine fell into this camp. Um, they had sleep disordered breathing. Had have um, they slept. A lot and actually more than their peers um, in terms of and I always think of it like that was their body and their, that the, their brain's way of trying to catch up on that that sleep quality it never doesn't really work but that's the way their body has tried to compensate for that then we have kids that fall into the other camp that um, can't get sleep together wake really frequently really resist falling to sleep so they've definitely fallen into two camps but yes yeah well and I think that's really interesting because there are so many parents out there that would say oh my my, you know my child's such a good sleeper or my toddler's such a good sleeper but they're still showing these other these signs that you're talking about you know not being refreshed maybe some you know behavioral challenges uh and I love that link you know between the ADHD and um you know that sleep quality as well so I think so many parents listening um you know it, it gives them something to think about Mm. And like the, when you dive into the research, there is so much there that it's just, it's crazy that sleep is not the first thing considered when we're mm. looking at kids' abilities to regulate and sit still in class and listen. Like, it's just, it's, every, I mean, I, I live in the world, so it's just like, it's <laughs> come, coming, the research is coming out of my ears. But it's just crazy that that's not the number one thing. Like when, it, when you go to your GP and say, look, you know, my kid's struggling. Yes. Let's look at their sleep. Yeah, and it seems so obvious, doesn't it? Just like, I mean, you know, and we would say the same for diet, you know, when kids are eating, you know, rubbish all day, lots of additives, you know, not enough protein. Of course, that's going to affect their their mood and behavior and sleep as well. So, yeah, I, I and that's why I love getting experts like you on to give that sort of different different um, approach and, and to help parents see things in a different light. So let's move on to reflux because I know that's another specialty area of you, of yours. We see a lot of babies with reflux here at Natural Super Kids and I know reflux medications are one of the most highly prescribed medications for babies. Uh, what is your approach when it comes to reflux? So my approach is very much that Reflux is a symptom, it's not a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. So it's a, I'm not very good at my, the, the adjectives of verse, I think it's a verb. <laughs> it's <laughs> describing what is happening. Yes. So the stomach content coming back out through the esophagus. Um, so it's not a diagnosis. So my approach is let's look at why that's happening. So I look at over 80 signs and symptoms. Um, and I take a, you know, like I look at, I assess feeding, I assess 
lots of different things the oral function the way the face looks and all this kind of stuff and then all these birth history lots of things so all these things give me like little clues as to what's the contributor um and it's very very common um basically the 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 two main causes fall into two camps so it's related to air aphasia or swallowed air or otherwise termed air-induced reflux, so AIR. Um, so reflux or gastroesophageal reflux disease is kind of what we think reflux is, but actually very often it's related to swallowed air. So feeding assessment should be the number one thing before medication is prescribed. I feel like medication has a place in short-term management or in babies that have proper diagnosed GERD with a scope and it's inflamed and they're in a lot of pain. Um, but it shouldn't be the first line because if we can fix their feeding, then there's no need for it. But for sure, short-term pain management, investigate what's going on with the reflux. It has value. Um but if it's a feeding problem, why are we changing the acidity of the stomach exactly. with yeah. medication? And there's downsides um, to that as well, you know? Oh, yeah, a lot. Yeah. And, I mean, the, the reality is that these things, are, there's only one approved for use in the under one population. They're designed for short-term use. But I see babies that have just been, catch you later, like, that's take all, this that's, medication where yeah. they're not managed, like, and the parents don't know when to wean it. Exactly. And, and they become really scared to wean it yes. um, because the symptoms increase with that acid rebound as the um, mm-hmm. as the me- medications are weaned. So then the other, um, so feeding difficulties and then um, slash oral dysfunction. Then the other thing is um, digestive immaturity. So not necessarily an allergic reaction, though that does exist, um, or an IgE-mediated um allergy or anything like that but that baby's digestive systems are different to adults and that they don't have the digestive capacity to digest complex carbohydrates and complex proteins they're very good at digesting fats because they've got lots of those enzymes and as they grow older they get those digestive enzymes so that means that they can deal with more complex stuff in their diet and that includes like formula but also um through the breast milk yeah yeah so interesting okay um and what what other like while we're on feeding what other sort of feeding issues do you commonly see in babies so um in terms of milk yeah 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 um so babies that um, I, I see quite a few that present with really difficult feeding during the day, um, really fussy, really pop on off, really just not into it, um, and then they're swallowing lots of air. Um, versus, and then I see that then they will feed much better at night. So when we're seeing this kind of like um, when they're more awake and alert and can have a little bit more volition over the, the choice to eat versus at night time when they're starving, exhausted, um, and they're just more um, chilled out so they will accept a feed better. Um, and then just di- 
difficulties with, and I'm not an IBCLC, but I am paediatric feeding trained and an orofacial myofunctional therapist, um, but difficulties with latch, tongue function, um, regulation to get on and have a nice calm feed, um, and it looked tongue ties a huge one, um, and um, high palate. Um, that comes type of stuff. So oral, oral dysfunction is a huge um, thing. Yeah, so and so think. with these like feeding issues with babies, you're primarily looking at at oral function, are you? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Such an important area, isn't it? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Looked, yeah. Um, and can you share a little bit more? Like, I'm just thinking some of our listeners might not even have come across, you know, oral function and mm. oral fate, oral, <laughs> oral fate and my functional therapy. <laughs> yeah, we a, call it Mayo for short. <laughs> Mayo, yeah, let's call <laughs> yeah, it Mayo. Yeah. I always get that, that those terms mixed up. But can you tell my, our audience a little bit more about what that is? Yeah, so orofacial my functional therapy is basically so you can it. it it goes across the lifespan. So I obviously focus on little babies and kids. So it's the function of the lips and the tongue and how we, our oral rest posture and how we use our lips and tongue and nose and breathing, how, how, how that all affects, um, craniofacial development. Um, so when we're talking about babies and oral function, we're obviously focusing on their milk feeding. So how effective are they at transferring milk? How comfortable is it for mum? And how comfortable is it for baby? And are they gaining weight? Gaining weight is not the be-all and end-all, for sure. It is one thing to consider because sometimes mums are killing themselves um, with round-the-clock feeding and triple feeding and all this kind of stuff. Um, But, yes, it's, um, it's about how that, um, diet, that feeding diet is um, functioning in terms of, yeah, is, is it efficient and all that kind of stuff. Um, so then as we, then we get into moving away from milk feeding, we're looking at how the little ones, um, eat, you know, progress or don't with their solid feeding. Um, so when we eat, we will generally bite, break the food off at the front of the mouth and then we need good oral function to move that food to our molar surface or molars if we've got teeth. We need to move that food from side to side to mix it with the saliva to form a cohesive bolus on the tongue to get ready for that swallow. So if you've got weak tongue or you've got a tongue tie or your tongue just doesn't know what to do because it's just always had a dysfunctional movement pattern, getting that food from front to back can be really hard and then that's when we can see some stalling with um, progression of textures and all that kind of stuff um, and then the, the I guess the big goal of orofacial myofunctional therapy across the lifespan is optimal rest oh sorry optimal oral rest posture so it's about the tongue being um, suctioned to the palate at rest lip seal and nasal breathing so that's mm-hmm. Um, how we optimise our craniofacial development, um, and that and that's essentially the kind of the end goal um, with efficient, happy feeding and eating in between. Yeah. So that oral function, and uh, this is a lot in in the in terms of the work that you do, 
yeah, issues in that oral function can affect sleep, can affect reflux, can affect feeding, can affect our kids' behavior. And even like, like you just sort of alluded to then, like fussy eating, what we might, what we, we might class as fussy eating or picky eating, which again is such a big challenge for parents these days. You know, it, it can all link back to that oral function, can't it? Yeah. Because yeah. they, and, and, and it kind of with, with the food, it kind of self perpetuates because we start, you know, like, if a bait, like meat, for example, um, hard to chew, right? So you've got to get that, you've got to move it back, you've got to chew it quite a lot, get it mixed with the saliva side to side to side and ready for swallow. So if a little one figures on, figures out pretty early on, that's really too, too much work. They either stop eating it altogether or they start chewing it and spitting it out. And then we as parents go, well, what's the point in cooking that? They're not going <laughs> to eat it. And then, we're not challenging that their oral motor skills to develop um, and they end up kind of just going down a path, can, can end up going down a path of soft, easy to chew um, foods. Um, that because, are hi- often highly processed and refined. And, yeah, yes. they're, and then they're, you end up with nutri- can end up with yes. nutritional deficiencies, which then affect sleep and then it all it's a no, yeah, vicious cycle, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So again, yeah. just planting that seed for any parents out there that do have kids with that are fussy, picky, you know, funny with textures, um, that you know it can be related to to oral function. So there's so thank you so much for like sharing all of that with us. We've kind of just touched the surface of lots of different uh, of different issues. So can you tell um, people where they can find out more about you and what you do and how you can help? Yep, beautiful, absolutely. So I am at, on Instagram at Whole Child Co AU, um, and the same on Facebook. Um, and my website is www wholechildco.com.au um, and I've got different blogs and I do lots of posts about this kind of stuff um, pretty regularly and obviously working one-on-one is um, you can contact me through um, both channels. Yeah, great. Um, and you work online? Yes. Yep. Yes. Okay, perfect. Um, and we will make sure that we link to your Instagram. Your Instagram is so great. Like it's got so many little, uh, you know, you. snippets of good education. Um, and we'll make sure that we link to your website as well. Thank you so much, Tash, for coming on and talking about this with us today. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Head on over to our website, naturalsuperkids.com for the show notes for this episode, as well as a whole heap of inspiration to help you raise healthy and happy kids. I'll see you next week.